Um, for me, the most memorable are how I did. At the end of the day, I don't really remember how late the rounds were, but I remember how everyone did and how my team did. And I can be proud of myself and all my friends. I really like the award ceremony when you get to see how everyone did. I like it, you know, when they put up the power sheets because then there's like the people all around the room that are like, yes, I powered, and it's just like fun to just watch that. I think the, the opportunity to spend time with the people on your team and uh, kind of enjoy each other's successes and, um, you know, just be able to have a really, make a really good day out of it. Probably just watching all of my teammates um, power and win and all that. It's really fun. And the bonding moments on the bus is really awesome too. The bus ride, for sure. Definitely the bus ride. Blankets, pillows, jamming out to your favorite song. Best thing ever. Hello, and welcome to Forensics Faces. I'm Kurt Graves. You just heard Libby Schmidman, Ryan Doro, Matt Matizic, Abhishek Parik, Ava Gonzalez, Dana Strothank, and Jenny Busilecki telling you their favorite part of a day spent at a forensics tournament. I remember being in high school and just falling in love with the energy that hits you as you walked through the doors of a forensics tournament. That mixture of exhaustion and anxiety and excitement and concentration was intoxicating. If I could find a job that gave me that feeling every day, I would never retire. And just as intoxicating was the camaraderie that I experienced with my teammates and competitors. Forensics tournaments definitely rank among my favorite high school memories. And they continue to be a favorite part of my year as an adult. The difference now, though, is that I know how much work goes into running a tournament. This week, I'm talking to Ben Kroll, coach at Sheboygan South High School and my crosstown rival. Ben was gracious enough to agree to an interview just moments after the Sheboygan South tournament concluded to share what it's like running a tournament, why he feels it's important to run a tournament each year, and how to go about getting started if you're thinking of hosting for the first time. He also shares some insights from the category committee of which he is now the chair. Here's my conversation with Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello, Kurt. Welcome to Forensic Spaces. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> All right, so I've already had one other foreign language teacher on the <laughs> podcast. Can you say welcome to Forensic Spaces in Spanish? Bienvenidos a las caras de Forensics. Awesome. So other than teaching and forensics, what keeps you busy? Something that's taken up a lot of time for the last couple of, couple of years, in addition to teaching, in addition to forensics, I took up running as a hobby, just something to fill the time, and that has become sort of an, an important hobby of mine, something to keep me going through the day, something to keep me busy, keep me active, and that's actually turned into one of my, my, one of my forensic superstitions. Um, for the last two years or so, every night before a forensics meet, I go out for a run, usually at the gym, and it's just something to clear my mind, something to keep me going, part of my tradition. That's awesome. Yeah. So you just wrapped up your home tournament for the yes, year. Yes, I did. What's harder, running a tournament or running a marathon? Oh, well, I've, I've done both a couple of times now. In terms of the just overwhelming amount of work that goes into it, um, it's much more intense for a forensics tournament because so much work comes in such a short period of time. And you can do a lot of advanced preparation for a forensics tournament, but really until it's about two weeks before the tournament starts, there's not a lot you can do. 
And those last two weeks before a tournament, there is tons and tons of scheduling, tons of working with computer programs, tons of striking deals with teachers in the building to make sure that you can use their rooms, that things will be out of the way, um, getting in touch with the custodians. And so it's, it's very intense work, and it takes over your life pretty much for about two or three weeks before the forensics tournament. Running a marathon, on the other hand, um, it's, the work is much, much, much more stretched out. So the, the two marathons that I've run, I started training probably about, or tra seriously training for the marathon about five months beforehand, and it would do a couple hours a week, but not nearly as intense as the work that goes into a forensics tournament. So what you're saying is anybody uh, in forensics should be able to do a marathon. Oh, probably. totally. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I can't imagine any reason why someone wouldn't. So why does Sheboygan South host a tournament every year? What are the advantages of hosting well, one a of the forensics tournament? One of the advantages that I've found is that you really get to know the forensics community, to get to be part of a forensics community, because you're talking to so many other coaches. You're in contact with them, um, mostly through email, but, there, but phone calls back and forth, getting to know those coaches, building those connections. And that's a really important part, and it's made me feel a much, much more important part of the, the WFCA organization, just because I've had to work so closely with so many coaches to get things organized. Do you know how many years South has had a tournament? Uh, I know it's been a long time. South had, had hosted a tournament for years and years and years back when Steve Thompson and Ty Wesley were the coaches here. And I, I came to the school in 2004 and volunteered as an assistant coach for a couple of, uh, the first couple of years. So all I know is that it, it was a long tradition that goes back long before I started. Do you think there's a legacy that you feel pressure to keep up? Um, I don't know if I necessarily feel, pr feel pressure to keep it up, but I, I do agree that there is, there is a legacy. It's, it's been a, a team that's been around for years and years and years and years. And I'm personally very proud to be able to continue to keep it going. What do you think are the biggest challenges that come with hosting a forensics tournament? Probably for me personally, I, I can't say if this is the same for everybody else, but for me personally, the biggest challenge is remembering all the little details, trying to think, okay, have I reserved all the rooms that I need? Have I gotten in touch with all of the, the transportation issues? Have I ordered all the food that I need, have, or that we need to serve to the students, that we need to serve to the judges? Have I made all the photocopies that I need? Have I scheduled the tournament correctly? Am, am I on schedule? So that was the, probably the biggest issue for me, just feeling like, oh my God, it's four days before the tournament. I feel like there's so many things that I, that I need to do that I have forgotten about. What would be your advice to somebody who is considering running a tournament for the very first time? Talk to as many other coaches as you can. The, the WFCA coaches are fantastic people to work with. Every, every coach that I've worked with is eager to help. They want these tournaments to go well. They want these tournaments to go smoothly. They will offer any advice that you can possibly ask for. Even this year, which is, I believe, the fourth or fifth year that I've been, the, I've been the coach running the tournament, I'm still sending out emails, making phone calls to other coaches a week, a couple of, a day or two before the tournament asking, how should I do this? What's the right way to make this work? And they respond very, very quickly with excellent advice, with, with good support. It'll all go, it'll all go well. They keep, they keep reminding me because I, I tend to get a little bit nervous. I agree with that. I think the coaches in the WFCA are a great resource oh, for fantastic. anybody who wants to tackle something for the first time. In the last few years, there have been a lot of online services, computer programs that have been created to help run forensics tournaments. Have you used any of these in the past? I've, I've worked with a couple of different programs. I still have never found one that actually does everything correctly. And, and this year, for example, it was um, a program that we used that 
did the scheduling for the tournament. Uh, we worked Monday and Tuesday on the actual running of the program to make everything work. And as it turned out, the program decided it didn't want to assign any judges to any category whatsoever, no matter how many settings I could tweak or change. So I had to sit down and manually put judges into different rounds and balance everything out that way. If you had to explain forensics to a total stranger, what would you say? I would explain that forensics is competitive speech and acting, in the, in the simplest terms. And if they wanted more information, I would explain it's a chance for students to express themselves, to put their ideas out into the world, to artistically interpret something that interests them and compete against other students to see who can get their ideas across the best and in, in the most entertaining manner. How often do you have to explain what forensics is? Not very often. I, I don't run into those people that, that mistake it for crime scene investigation. Or um, Here at school, um, most people, most of the teachers may not have a really solid understanding, but they know it deals with speech. They know it's something that a lot of students are very passionate about, and they see that passion, and even if they don't fully understand the activity, they support it because they support the students. Do you find that your incoming freshmen know what the activity is by the time they get to high school? It depends what middle school they've come from. In some middle schools, they have had a rudimentary forensics program that gives them experience with with some of the categories that we have. Other students don't really understand much of anything about it, but again, they don't mistake it for crime scene investigation. They, they think, oh, well, it's it's speech. Did you participate in forensics as a high school student? I did participate in forensics. I participated all four years. Well, give us your forensics rundown. Tell all us right. your forensics story. Um, I started out as a lowly freshman doing prose like so many other lowly freshmen, and I was not very successful. I had a lot of fun, but I didn't have a whole lot of success. But I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, my coach at the time was a, a coach who, has been, who had been coaching for years and years and years, Sharon Sharko, who was a, a great mentor, a great role model that for me to look back on now as, as a coach. What school did you go to? I went to Greendale High School. Okay. And, and Sharon just recently retired, um, but she, she's been running that program, or had been running that program for years and years and years, and really loved working with the students. Anyways, uh, as I said, I did prose as a freshman, not very successfully, but I had a lot of fun. Sophomore year, I started out in storytelling, and for anyone who's newer to the organization, storytelling has changed a lot since my day. Storytelling used to be a category like extemp, where there was a book that every single person in, in storytelling worked out of, and you drew a, a particular story out of an envelope, and you had a half hour to prepare to tell that story. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Exactly. This And this was around 1990, I think maybe 1991. And so, were you any good at it? Uh, <laughs> I, was better th- I was a better storyteller than I was a prose student. Uh, I think just because I, I was very energetic and very silly and very goofy. But halfway through the season, we had an opportunity, or there was an opportunity where someone who was signed up to do demonstration speaking was unable to make it to a tournament. And, I, and we found this out maybe the night before. And I asked um, Sharon Sharko, please, please, please let me, do, let me do demonstration. And I put together that night a demonstration speech on how to do yo-yo tricks and went to the meet the next day, made it into the power round for the first time, and stuck with demonstration for the rest of the year. Wow. I had the demonstration bug. And then the next year, when I was a junior, I continued to do demonstration. I demonstrated how to juggle and had a fantastic time. Did, had, was even more successful as a, a juggling demonstrator than a yo-yo trick demonstrator. And to mix things up, when I was a senior, I decided that I wanted to do play acting. And 
worked together with uh, a really weird, bizarre play, um, The Bald Soprano, I, if anyone listening is familiar with it. It's probably the first theater of the absurd piece, and it was really, really bizarre. We had a, a ton of fun doing it, and for the most part, had a lot of success. It was one of those pieces that judges probably didn't quite know how to react to it, and because of that, they're like, okay, well, I, this is so bizarre, they must be doing something over my head. They're great. And, oh, and also that experience with play acting, that is probably what gave me the spark to become a coach for forensics because I, re I really wanted to do play acting and Sharon Charco said, okay, well, you found this play, it's a little bit weird, you handle it, you direct the students, you do all the blocking, you set everything up, and, um, and as, it, as it turns out, we were very, very successful, won a lot of awards, a lot of trophies, um, and I felt very proud, very, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Very, um, hmm. I felt a great sense of accomplishment at having organized this, at being the person to get the group together, to run practices, to polish the piece, and just to make it as perfect as we could. And Sharon Charco had just more or less taken a hands-off approach to, approach to it and let me run that play as I saw fit. Do you see students on your team now who take that role? There are, there are some. Um, we ha I haven't had a lot of students who have come demanding, here is this really bizarre, weird piece that I insist I do. Um, but there are a lot of students who take, that, take on that leadership role of guiding students, practicing with them, polishing their pieces, bringing, bringing the younger students in for practice time. And it's fantastic to see that. Those are the people that a good forensics organization depends upon. So Sheboygan South students, you heard it here first. <laughs> Find the weirdest piece you can <laughs> and bring it to Ben Kroll, because now is your time to shove this back. <laughs> If they, if they can be as successful as I was, I, I will back them wholeheartedly. <laughs> so you have a new job this year in the WFCA. Yes. I, the category I, committee. I was, tapped, um, over at, I was tapped at the fall meeting to head up the category committee, which I, I had been working with as a member of the committee for two years now. And it came as a little bit of a surprise to me, but I am excited to work with that. Cool. And what does the category committee do? The category committee, for one, is in charge of... Um, deciding which categories are going to be a part of the forensics organization, which doesn't change very, very often. It's, it's not common for a category to get added or a category to get dropped. That is one of the tasks for the, the category committee. More importantly, each year the category committee decides what the topics will be for the categories that change year to year. The, the decision is made what storytelling topics are going to be used for the next year, what time period moments in history is going to look at, what questions public address students are going to have to respond to, what situations the special acting students are going to pretend that they are, they are speaking in, and what group discussion questions each, each of the group discussers will discuss week by week. And how does that process go about? Do people bring suggestions? Is it an open forum? Um, the members of, of, the, of the committee, a lot of them will work with one specific category in forensics. So there'll be one person on the committee who looks at storytelling, one person who looks at group discussion, and so on. And in Wisconsin, it is a little bit of a challenge because we have our two different forensics organizations. And 
ideally the organizations will work together. But each of the members of the category committee will be in touch with someone from our other organization, from the WHSFA, who is also on their category committee. And they'll discuss back and forth, and they may solicit suggestions from other people. Um, they may get suggestions from students on their team or from other coaches to say, what would be a good storytelling topic? What would be an interesting special occasion that someone might be speaking at? And there's discussion back and forth, deciding, okay, which category or which particular topics do we want to use? Um, how do we want to specifically word the questions? And sometimes there, there is a little bit of contention where one organization wants to word something a very specific way that the other organization either feels is too restrictive or is too broad. And there's a lot of back and forth. And in some cases, the official rules differ slightly. Okay. And I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, Okay. For example, in this in this current season, the WHSFA decided that they want to include a special occasion speech that mimics a category that doesn't exist anymore. They wanted to bring back significant speech in which someone spends part of their speech delivering an address that has been given publicly by some famous or not so famous person and part of the speech analyzing that. And they decided to use that as one of their special occasion topics. Then the WHSFA has decided it doesn't quite fit with our vision of what special occasion speaking would be. You mean so, the WFCA? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. It, it doesn't quite fit with the, our vision of what the WFCA wants special occasion to be. In the last few years that you've been on the committee, have there been times when a category has been up for elimination for lack of a better word while i've been on the committee which is only i was only on the committee for about two years before moving up to the chairperson there was no discussion about eliminating any categories um, but but there has been some rumblings about possibly um, adding in something new in the future or doing some fundamental changes to the way one or two of the categories work I know you probably don't want to give anything away because then you'll be flooded with a whole right. and, mass and the, of and, opinions as to what should be done. And, and um, these are decisions that haven't been made yet. They're still right. up in the but air. But hypothetically, what are the grounds for which a category might be dropped or added by the WFCA? It would be looking at the looking in the long term. Is this a category that has been dwindling in numbers over the years? Is this something that not a lot of schools are interested in? On the other side, on the other hand. Uh, if there is growing interest for something um, in a certain category, especially if it's a non-traditional, non-WFCA category, it's something to look at adding in. For example, right now there is discussion about possibly adding oratorical declamation as an official category for the w WFCA. It's certainly, not, certainly up in the air. Mm -hmm. It may happen, it may not. But because there are several tournaments in a row this year that are offering oratorical declamation for freshmen and sophomore students, it's something for us to look at possibly adding as a year-long official WFCA um, category. And that's something that is both exciting and sometimes frustrating about the WFCA is that really tournaments within the WFCA can offer whatever categories it, they it, want. Exactly. And that can include something like a national category or a rhetorical declamation. It can also include novice categories if they want, True. but there, it doesn't have to be consistent throughout yeah. the board. How has forensics impacted your life? Forensics has been a big influence on my life. Just looking back in high school, it was one of, the, one of those activities that really gave me a sense of identity. I was fortunate enough to belong to a number of different, or, different organizations and, and activities in high school that really helped to define who I was. I was very active in theater. I was active on the, on the math team, very active in forensics. And each of those were strong, tight-knit groups that really gave me a good sense of self. 
but forensics is, is one of the ones that I, I look back as one of the strongest and one of the ones that I have some of the fondest memories memories of. In addition, it's given me some confidence, given me the ability the ability to know, yes, I can go out and speak in front of groups of people, which as, as a teacher, it's very much like being up in front of a section for forensics, speaking to these people and having to convince them of something or having to perform, having to hold their attention for a certain amount of time. And it's definitely prepared me for what I have become later in life. I just thought of this as I was watching you today at your tournament, getting mm -hmm. up and having to address <laughs> everybody. Do you get a little nervous talking in front of WFCA people or is there no difference for you when it comes, a crowd is a crowd? I think it's a little bit different speaking in front of the, in front of the WFCA meetings because this is peers rather than something that I'm leading, especially because I'm I'm so used to working in the classroom where I am I am the head, I am the one in charge of things, I'm the one um, organizing everything and leading everyone through. Whereas the WFCA, it's a much more collaborative setting. Yeah. Along that note. What is a tab room like? Because there's, there's got to be some pressure <laughs> if you're a tournament director. And especially today, I mean, you've got Mike Tross and Tom Harden mm -hmm. and Mary Wacker and Doris Sexton and, you know, among others, you know, some big names who have been <laughs> around for a long time sitting here looking at you for answers to questions. Um, it's a little overwhelming and, and there, there are some issues that, that arise that you need to deal with as a, as a tournament director that, that you just wish wouldn't arise, or why did this person have to bring this issue to the tab room? Couldn't they have just just let it slide? But there are important things that you have to deal with as, as a tournament director, even if it's a small, picky issue. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, the people who make up the WFCA, the, the member coaches, are amazing, fantastic, supportive people. And everyone that is in every tab room that I've ever worked in or led at the tournament here is very, very positive, is eager and willing to give advice, to give suggestions. And they work as a team very, very well to make the tournament run as smoothly as possible. And they're not afraid to tell you if they think you're doing something wrong. <laughs> exactly. They, they will tell me, no, don't do this. It needs to be like that and their advice is invaluable, especially because as the tournament rolls on, the tournament director gets more and more and more and more tired, as I am now at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite forensics memory? One of my favorite memories, and one of those memories that I'm, I'm really, really proud of, back when I was doing that really weird play, there was one particular judge that I, I remember, and it's a, it's a judge we that... After this round, we had a name for her that I probably shouldn't say on your, okay. on your podcast, <laughs> but it was a judge that had held us, and I've told this story to a lot of people, a judge that held our play acting group back at, in the room at the end of the round after dismissing everyone else and told us, we're really good actors, but she downgraded us just because she didn't understand the play, which I, looking back now, it's a risk that I realized we took by doing such a bizarre piece. Um, but it, it was kind of a blow to us. It, it felt like a slap in the face, but the, the moment, the, the proud moment came a few meets later because we were in a round with that same judge once again. And, and we, we walked into the room, saw the judge there. Our group kind of looked at each other. Our faces fell a little bit. But we still got up, did the best job we possibly could, and we got the one in the round from that judge. So it was a, a sense of pride knowing, okay, we can, we can change someone's mind. We can convince them. We can overcome that, that initial disappointment. 
It's We've touched on it a little bit, but what do you think of the forensics community in Wisconsin? Uh, it's a fantastic group to work with. Uh, and again, I feel like just saying the, the same words of praise over and over again, but they, they really are very supportive, um, very, very eager and willing to help out. They don't always agree. There are some very, very strong opinions and at times heads do butt against each other, but it, everyone is working towards making the organization as good as it can possibly be for everyone involved. The other thing I want us to talk about, since it's you and me sitting here, and I'm mm -hmm. the coach from Sheboygan North, and you're the coach from Sheboygan South, yes. and over the last couple years, I'm proud to say that we've found a lot of ways to collaborate, uh, to work together. I agree. In it's, ways, it's been great working with you these last couple of years. Yeah, in ways that I hope are benefiting our team. And I wondered if you could speak to that, um, that spirit of collaboration for teams that are maybe in a similar situation, either they're cross town or they, you know, our cities are next to each other. Geographically close. Yeah. It's been great working with you because we've managed to travel together, um, and I think our teams, our students, are very supportive of one, in, one another. There's, I won't say there's no rivalry, but it, it's a friendly rivalry. We're challenging each other to push each other to be as good as we can possibly be. Do you talk about Sheboygan North at your meetings as much as we talk about Sheboygan South? The students might talk about it uh, on their own, but I certainly don't bring, bring you guys up too often. Um, we talk about when we're going to share buses, when we're going to meet at, at North when we leave for a tournament, when you guys are going to come here. And the, st the students complain, to, oh, we have to go up to North. <laughs> we have to go two more miles. But as I, as I remind them, well, if you guys would like to pay the full cost of the bus, we can travel alone. <laughs> In my team, there is sort of a mommy-daddy relationship that whenever I say something they don't like, they, they will very quickly say, well, but South is doing... Dot, dot, dot. I don't get that at our side of town a whole lot. Ugh. I need hmm. to change schools. <laughs> to my kids, stop doing that. I don't <laughs> like it, and I never fall for it. And, and to my kids, don't start doing that. <laughs> okay, Ben, now it's time to answer the questions that everybody's answering. Right. What is Farago? I'm glad you asked, because I have a visual aid to go along with that. And unfortunately, the people listening won't be able to see this, but let me get this out of my bag. Okay. I know a lot of the people in the, the WFCA community are huge nerdlingers like I am and are probably familiar with the game Balderdash in which players are given a really bizarre, obscure word and have to write a fake definition for it. And I found on this card one of the, one of the words that's considered bizarre and obscure is Farago. Farago. Oh, that's awesome. So according to the game, for a Farago is a jumble or hodgepodge. <laughs> Which I think it's a decent defini definition. Um, what I've had to explain Farago to a student, I've explained it as it's a mixture of different genres of literature or different types of literature, poetry, prose, essay, speech, on a given topic, which is a really, really dry technical definition. As I've, with the students that I talk more and more about it, I'm able to get into a much more interesting description. I've described it to some people as like making a mixtape where pieces need to flow together, the pieces need to balance each other out and complement each other. And it's a way of creating a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts, all based around a single theme. And we will get a picture of that <laughs> card to post on ForensicsFaces.com. And Balderdash people, please don't sue me. <laughs> what is the difference between interp and acting? Oh, it's a very, very fine line. And having listened to your podcast before, I've, I've thought about this because I knew I'd be answering this question. And 
the definition that I think I came up with, it's probably just as frustrating as simply saying acting versus interp. But I think good interp should, for a student who excels at interp, they should be able to conjure up the image of a character in the listener's mind, in the mind of the audience. Whereas a student who's going to excel in acting needs to become that character. What is your favorite category to judge? I think I've always enjoyed judging Farrago, just because I, I tend to think of Farrago like a mixtape. I enjoy making mixtapes and <laughs> sharing them with friends and seeing how things flow, flow together. So I love that interconnectedness, finding those, finding those surprising connections and the, that surprising flow that some students are able to put together with their Farrago pieces. That's it. wow, that, that piece really, really complements that previous piece really well. It, it sheds some new light on that theme. So I enjoy, I enjoy finding the, the surprising connections that students find. And you were also a successful demo speaker, as you said. So exactly. what makes a really good demonstration speech? A, demonst a good demonstration speech, it needs to engage the audience. It doesn't necessarily leave the audience fully capable of knowing how to do whatever t the student is teaching. But it should give the audience a feeling, okay, if I practice long enough, I could do this. I know enough now to guide myself through this process. And in, in addition, a good demonstration speech, it should justify why it's worth knowing how to do that activity, why it's something good and worthwhile, and not just, here's how to do, how to do this mundane activity, or even this amazing, surprising activity, but here's why you should do it. What do your family and friends think of forensics? Do they understand what it is? Um, well, my, bro my older brother has a good understanding because he did forensics, and he's probably part of the reason why I got into forensics. Um, so he knows what it's all about. Uh, my parents, I don't know if they understand exactly what it all entails, but they know it's something that I'm very passionate about and are very supportive and, and know that it's something that is a big part of my life. Check, 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 check. <laughs> <laughs> I might leave that in just so people know. <laughs> Yes, that's that's part of the part of the aspect of being a tournament director. You usually have a walkie-talkie with you that people will call on every once in a while. <laughs> Let me actually see if if there is. Hello. All right. Uh, Never mind. Gone. He's gone now. And a lot of friends that I have, I have, I'm friends with a lot of people who were former forensic speakers themselves, and. Some, are one, some of my closest friends are still active in the forensics community, so they have a great understanding of it, whether they're coaching or judging or helping out whenever possible. And are those people that you met through forensics, or you've, come, you've found them in life and just turns out they were? Some of both. What is your biggest dream? So many things that are coming, up to mind are, coming to mind are lame. <laughs> lame, 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 lame. That's your dream. Sometimes it helps to talk through it. Okay. Um, well, I suppose it's a little hard to think right at the moment just because I'm still somewhat in tournament mode having, <laughs> having just finished. So one of my big dreams at the moment is to go and take a nap when I get home. <laughs> so it's a, a very short-term dream. And like I said, forensics is still very much on my, on my mind. And so a, a big dream would, for me would, would be perhaps someday getting... Uh, having a student make it to the finals in nationals or, or or just find some great success on that national level and really, really be able to guide someone all the way through to that pinnacle of success.
What advice do you have for forensic students today? For forensic students today, I would say take every opportunity you can to use your coaches as a resource, use your friends, use your teammates as a resource, speak as much as you can, enter as many tournaments as you can, challenge yourself, try to find something new, some category you've never tried before, some piece that seems particularly particularly challenging to in- interpret, or a, a speech that breaks the mold, a speech that surprises the audience, surprises yourself. Do something that you have never done before in forensics, and you may find an entirely, entirely new world open up to you. All right, Ben. Each week, we try to outsmart our guest in our game, FaceTime. This is how it works. I have 20 questions inspired by a forensics category. You have 90 seconds, that's 75 seconds with a 15-second grace period, to answer as many questions as you can. Your topic this week is based on solo humorous acting. This weekend is the 84th Annual Academy Awards, so I thought it was only fitting to honor the funny films, actors, and writers that have earned Oscar gold for being so humorous. Excellent. So I'm going to ask you 20 questions about Oscar-winning comedies, and your final score will be printed on a FaceTime plaque for you to show off to family and friends. Your 90 seconds begins when I finish the first question. We're ready? Yes. Let's begin. Barbara Streisand won a Best Actress Oscar for playing Fanny Bryce in what 1968 film adaptation of a popular stage show? Funny Girl. Correct. Conversely, Mel Brooks won that year for Best Original Screenplay for this comedy, which was later turned into a musical. The Producers. Correct. Woody Allen's film Blank, starring Diane Keaton, won Best Picture in 1977. Annie Hall. Correct. Dustin Hoffman donned a dress for his role in Blank. Tootsie. Yeah, which won Jessica Lange the Oscar. In Moonstruck, this singer turned actress won an Academy Award for Best Leading Actress. Cher. Kevin Kline won an, Academy, won an Oscar for the crime comedy A Fish Called Blake. Wanda. Life was like a really good box of chocolates when this comedy won Best Picture in 94. Forrest Gump. Frances McDormand won an Oscar for portraying a pregnant police chief investigating a series of homicides in this surprisingly funny Coen Brothers film. Fargo. Correct. Cuba Gooding Jr. won an Oscar for this 96 romantic comedy. Jerry Maguire. Correct. This animation studio's For the Birds won Best Animated Short in 2002 and almost every animated feature Oscar since. Pixar. Correct. Nicolas Cage, Meryl Streep, and Chris Cooper were all nominated for Oscars for their acting in blank. Adaptation. Correct. This 2002 musical comedy was the first musical since Oliver to win an Academy Award. Chicago. Correct. Alan Arkin won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in this independent comedy. Little Miss Sunshine. Correct. Diablo Cody got an Oscar for penning this original Juno. script. Juno. Correct. Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt won Leading Actor and Actress Prizes for this night. As good as it film. gets. Another Woody Allen hit, Bullets Over Blank, earned Diane Weiss. Broadway. An, yep. An Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. And Morgan Freeman was Jessica Tandy's chauffeur in this 1989. Driving Miss Daisy. Best picture winner that is correct and that is 90 seconds all right well i don't know how many you got right but i know you got every question (laughs) right that we got to so let's count one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen seventeen correct answers excellent and i'm guessing you would have gotten the next three do you want to give them a shot yeah let's go for it all right this funny lady is nominated for her performance in this year's bridesmaids Melissa McCarthy? Correct. 
Blank will return this year to host the Oscars for the ninth time. Billy Crystal. And Billy Crystal replaced this comedian and Oscar-nominated actor who Eddie was Murphy. slated to host the 84th Academy Awards. Eddie Murphy is correct. You would have gotten them all right if we could have gotten to it. Ah. If I could speak faster, exactly. you would have gotten them all. But 17 is nothing to scoff at. <laughs> so congratulations. Thank you will get your much. FaceTime plaque to show off to family and friends. And thank you so much for being a part of oh, Forensic well, thank, Spaces. Thank you for asking me to come and speak for you. Thanks for joining us for Forensics Faces. Special thanks to this week's Forensics Face, Ben Kroll. Check out exclusive content on our blog, ForensicsFaces.com, or follow at Forensics Faces on Twitter. This program is recorded and edited by Kurt Graves. Our theme song is by Kate Marshall. FaceTime prizes are furnished by Distinctive Images. Learn more at distinctiveimages.net. Forensics Faces is produced with the support of the WFCA, developing communication skills vital for a lifetime of effective participation in society. Find out more at wfcaforensics.org.